0: On radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers, this is InvestTalk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor, Steve Peasley. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next
1: Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Let's go to David in San Diego. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great,
2: thank you. Thank you for calling. Uh, my question is about Roth IRAs. My wife and I want to start contributing to one, but we're a few years away from hitting that uh, that income ceiling. What happens after we hit that mark? Can we no longer contribute, and have to open up a separate one, or you know how that works?
1: Yes, we're not accountants, but I kind of know how it works. Are you maxing out your 401ks? No, we're just planning to take
2: our 401ks down just so the company match and put some at the
1: Roth. Okay. Actually, I think that's a good idea. Roth acts like a regular IRA. In other words, you can put as much money up to $5,000 in it. Roth is after-tax money, and it grows tax-free when you pull it out some years, whenever it is down the road. After your retirement age, you don't have to pay any taxes on the money that's coming out. When you hit the income limit, in other words, you and your wife make X amount of dollars. I think it's... 160 something, I believe.
2: 168, 169, I think.
1: Okay, when you hit that number... You no longer, I believe, you can no longer contribute to any Roth. You can't open up another one or anything like that. No, you cannot contribute to a Roth anymore because you make too much money. I don't know why they think in those terms. But you need to check with an accountant, Dave, about that number because the number probably changes all the time every year. I appreciate but it. Thanks for the call. appreciate it. Let's go talk to Joe in Fremont. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing fine, Steve. Thanks for call. I
3: just received a letter from my mutual fund Saying that they want to convert to a closed-end fund, Uh and I was wondering what you thought about that.
1: Actually, that's not a bad thing. So what they're doing is they want to limit the number of shares they're issuing out there. They want to limit. They don't want to have unlimited. Now, what's going to happen when they do that, Joe, is that your mutual fund, instead of selling at the net asset value of the exact value of the holdings that's inside the fund, now can sell at a premium or a discount to that net asset value.
3: Generally, don't they sell at a discount?
1: Not necessarily. Right now, many of them are, yes, right now. But in both phases, they sell at a premium. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's probably on balance more of a good thing because they're trying to limit the number of shares. One of the reasons they do that is they're gathering too much money to stay with what they're trying to do. So, trying to limit the inflow of money. And that means that the manager of that fund is saying, you know what? I'm having trouble. Every day I get another billion dollars or a hundred million dollars, and I can't invest that much money that fast. You have to figure out why he's doing it, but that is probably the best answer that you could get and probably the right answer.
4: Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
1: thank you. So, it's not bad. Joe, thank you. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Kathy and Oceanside. How are you doing, Kathy?
5: Hi. Uh, my question is: my husband and I are going through a bankruptcy, uh-huh. and we were able to keep our house, but we're just starting to look at now how are we going to rebuild, and what would be the best strategies for us starting all over
1: again? Okay. Well, one way you need to get some couple of credit cards. Now, that doesn't sound like you can do it, huh? You can. This is how you do it. You have to go to the credit card company and deposit money with them. It's like a prepaid credit card. Yeah. Okay. A- and use it. Use that money and do it month to month to month to month. Uh, I had a sister-in-law who filed bankruptcy, did this. It took her several years. This is how she rebuilt her credit. Now she's. I think it was seven or eight years ago. Now her, her credit is pretty decent. Because that's what she did. So that's what you want to do. You gotta start rebuilding and prove that you are gonna make payments, you know, and that take
6: out small loans that you know for a fact that you can pay back, and right. that will build your credit. Because when you have accounts that are fully paid off and fully up to date and they have a long credit history on them, you've had them for many years, that will improve your credit score over time.
1: Okay. That's where you start, Kathy. So good luck. I hope it works for you. It will work. Good luck with it. Thank you. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. 992 4278 and you can get through right now.
0: to an encore presentation of invest talk please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and steve will answer them on the next invest talk
3: Hi, this is Duncan from New York. This is my, I think, third question. And for anybody that's listening, these guys do a great job responding within a couple of days. My question is, you keep on mentioning about pullbacks. What exactly do you mean by pullbacks? For example, what type of percentage are you looking for for small cap, for mid cap? and for large cap, and hopefully if you guys have time, exactly what is a good P-E ratio that we should look for when we are thinking about investing in the stock. Thank you very much, and have a great day. Bye.
1: Well, those are pretty difficult questions there, to be honest. Um, a pullback of the s and 500 of 10% is normal. Okay? Now, for a small cap, usually it's a bigger percentage. For a large cap, I mean, the big blue chip stocks, usually it's a smaller percentage. But a pullback would be normally 10%. But you can have them 5%. You can have them 20%. Anything over 20% is called a bear market. So... That's what the pullbacks mean. Okay, let's go to Bruce in Newark. How are you doing, Bruce?
2: I was just wondering, you were talking about high-yield bond funds, closed-end. What do you think about high-yield open-ended bond funds at this point?
1: I prefer the closed-end funds. And you want me to tell you why? Yes. Because closed-end funds, because I know no one out there, or very few people know what the difference between an open-end fund and a closed-end fund. A closed-end fund has a finite number of shares, okay? Where an open-end mutual fund, they just keep issuing shares as people put money in. Okay, everybody knows a mutual fund operates on net asset value, right? So how, whatever the assets they purchase, what is the actual value of them today, add those all in, divide by the number of shares, and this is your net asset, this is what it is. A closed-in fund has a finite amount of shares. Therefore, they don't keep issuing shares. Therefore, a closed-in fund can sell at a discount or at a premium to the net asset value of the holdings. Many times, they will sell at a discount. Well, the closed-end funds, especially the high yield, a lot of them are selling at a discount right now. In other words, if that fund liquidated, it would give us all more and more money. In other words, they're selling all the positions in there at a discount. Therefore, we're getting a higher yield, and I'm getting a bargain. I'm getting it on sale. Whereas an open-end fund, you wouldn't get any bargain. You get it right what the value is today. That's it. That's the only reason why I like them today better than I would any other day.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to decide what to do with my fixed income allocation in my 401k plan. And it has a high yield bond fund and a stable value.
1: Well, a stable value wouldn't give you too much income because that's not what they're designed to do. They're designed to stay stable and give you some income. The high yield is pretty much an income play. But of course, you have a little bit high risk with that than the stable value. So you're going to have to trade stable versus risk. Bruce, that's a tough call. Maybe put half in each. How's that? Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate the call. Let's go to Bob and Elsa Bronte. How are you doing, Bob? Hey,
2: yeah. I've got a, a question about two measurements that you often use. One, okay. the 200-day moving average, and yeah. the other, the level of the Dow. And aren't they different now than they were, I mean, as measurements, as gauges Uh, than they were, say, a year ago.
1: Yes, because the moving averages moves, and the level of the Dow moves even more violently.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at the the 200-day moving averages of a a number of stocks, and it seems like most good stocks are above their 200-day moving average significantly. And so how do you use that as a, as a buying-selling gauge if, uh, if they've just broken through
1: it? Remember, Bob, the 200-day moving average is a long-term moving average. That's for investors that buy and pretty much hold. They don't really care about any other indicators. So the 200-day moving average is a very good indicator to tell you if the stock is in a long-term bull phase or a long-term bear phase.
2: Right, but then if you're looking for stocks to buy, and most good stocks have broken through it strongly, then how do you use that as a, as a measurement?
1: A lot of companies uh, may, will move down to close to their 200-day moving average. You want to buy them if they find support at that 200-day moving average. Now, they may not get down that far, and the more extended a stock is beyond its 200-day moving average, bomb, the more risk you're taking buying that stock. Thank you for the call. I appreciate you. it.
0: Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is InvestTalk.
7: Hi, my name is Aaron. Uh, I just started recently listening to your podcast, and I just had a a question regarding Roth IRA. I just opened my my first account for Roth IRA, and I'm wondering kind of where I should start investing some of my money to start out with. Uh, Any tips or stocks that I should be looking at investing would be much appreciated. Thanks.
6: Now, I can't give you a stock recommendation or some sort of investment recommendation. I have to know your... uh, In in SEC terms, we have to know our client. We have to know what type of risk tolerance you have, what your ultimate goals are. Uh, And so that's what you have to ask yourself, right? Uh, Are you an aggressive investor? Are you more conservative? How much knowledge do you have about the investment world? If you're you're pretty new, it sounds like you're pretty new, then you probably want to focus on doing more research and less action. Uh, now, it might be a small dollar amount, and I think a small dollar amount is a good time to learn some lessons by buying individual stocks. Uh, I know some people, maybe Steve might have a different philosophy on this, buying uh, an overall index and gives you broad diversification, and I think that in some ways that's true if you have a lot of money and uh, you don't want to make a, a really bad decision with it. I think that broad diversification can make sense, but... If you're new to the game, you don't have a lot of money, and you're trying to learn this is something you want to get more financially literate about, I would invest it in companies that you know, individual companies, as long as you have high risk tolerance level. Uh, And then you can start to research that company, understand the company, listen to conference calls, read research reports, start to learn the process of analyzing individual investments in individual companies. So that's what I would do. Okay. If I were you as a new investor with a Roth IRA. Let's go to Lisa in San Francisco.
1: How are you doing, Lisa?
5: Very well, thank you.
1: What can I do for you?
5: I am calling because at the moment my husband and I have a mutual fund and all of it all of our investments are in the stock market. Okay. And we want to go into a safer mode. Okay. And we're looking into another mutual fund that has bonds. However, my concern it will be a more a bond fund. My concern is what is going on in the market saying that the government is not solid enough and so having my concern is those bonds and the treasuries it's usually most of it what we're looking at is into treasuries okay am i moving my money are bonds risky i mean corporate bonds could be because it depends on the
1: corporation right Mm -hmm. but
5: i'm talking about u.s bonds
1: okay that's a good question lisa The bonds itself, the the U.S. Treasury bonds themselves are not risky, but a bond fund is risky. When you buy a bond directly from the U.S. government, you get the bond, you hold it to maturity so you get your interest and you get your money back, right? Uh When you're in a bond fund, they buy all kinds of bonds in there. Okay, Uh and they have different maturity dates because they buy some today and then they buy some tomorrow, next week, the weekend, on and on and on. So what happens in a bond fund, they have bonds maturing all the time and they reinvest the money, right? Uh Uh-huh. So if interest rates right now are 4%, you're going to get 4% about a yield on your bond fund. But if interest rates go up to, let's say, 8%, the old bonds are paying 4%, go down in value, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you can buy a new one for eight. Those old ones, I'm not going to buy those unless you give me a big discount on them to give me an ultimate 8% return because they're so cheap. So what happened is the bond fund value, the net asset value, you know what you what the bond fund is worth, goes okay. down when interest rates go up, even though you still get the yield. You get the payment of the dividend, okay? Okay. So if interest rates start to rise over next week, next month, next year, two years, three years, the value of your bond fund therefore and will go down. Therefore, the money you put in will go less, get less and less and less. But you'll still get your dividend yield. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Very good question. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99 chart. Beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
2: Hey, Steve. Hey, Jeff. My name is Khalil. I've been listening to you guys a little bit over a year now, and I have a couple of questions. So, I am 24. I'm about to turn 25 This is in coming July, and I've kind of listened to everything you guys said. I kind of spread my money around. I don't leave it at just one sector. A question for you. So, my girlfriend, we've been getting a little serious now. It's been over three years, so I am thinking about popping the question. She has a daughter, so I am thinking about purchasing a home. Even though I don't necessarily need to purchase a home, I just think you'd be a little bit of a better investment instead of me throwing the money into renting. So I want to see what you guys think. If that, if it's better for me to go ahead and just do as I say, get a 15-year mortgage, or get a 30-year mortgage, throw a little bit more money um, uh, towards especially since I'm a little younger. I don't have too too many um, uh, things that I have to worry about right here financially, and I'm in sales, so I'm getting 80 to 100K this past three years. Hopefully, it's still going to be the same. So just a, a couple of questions for you guys, and thank you so so much. I appreciate all your help throughout the years. Take care.
6: I love this question and congratulations on on your success. Hopefully, it works out uh, with with your girlfriend. And uh, your question about buying a home—this is something that a lot of people are struggling with uh, in this time. Should I buy a home? You know, prices are up, rates are down. How do how do I handle this? And the first thing I always say is, what is the utility? Focus less on the. Monetary aspect, the investment aspect, and focus more on the utility. Uh, do you want to move? Do you think you will move in the next three, five years? Okay, if you do, then I probably would say, don't buy a home. You know, if you're going to move out of the area, for example, uh, if you. Think you're going to stay in that area for a long period of time, then you have to say, okay, what type of home do I want? What's going to make sense for myself, my family, our lifestyle? And what's going to make me the happiest? Uh, You know, within reason. Obviously, everyone wants a big house, probably. But you have to ask yourself that. And then you say, okay, let's go buy something that. We can afford, and then you make that decision. And yes, the money will go towards towards equity. But what you also have to understand is that if you aren't renting, right? You go buy a home, and you're not renting, and you're borrowing money. Well, you're renting money, right? There's a cost that money. Even though the the cost of that money is relatively cheap now, or at roughly three percent mortgage rate, that is something that is still money lost, right? Just like a rent payment is as well. So don't think that it's a clear-cut buy versus rent decision. It's more of utility. And think of it that way. And uh, if you can afford it, fantastic. Focus on the utility of that particular home. Talk
4: is made possible by KPP Financial. Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principles of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Stephen Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART.
3: Hello, uh, this is Tori from Bozeman, Montana. I'm calling to ask about a refinance that I'm currently in the middle of. So I'm refinancing a rental property that I own. And I was wondering, because I do have a good bit of equity in that property, And I haven't quite been maximizing my my Roth contribution every year, so would it be smart to take some of that equity out of my house and actually just put it into my Roth IRA where I feel like it can make better returns and possibly beat what my home might be able to bring in terms of equity in the future? I look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks so much. Bye.
1: Well, normally, I would say, no, don't take the equity out of your house, but but just contribute new money to the Roth. But with interest rates so very low, uh, you can borrow money against the house you live in at you know, 2.5% or so. Uh, that might be smart to borrow the money. Remember, it's always the best use of the money. What's the best use? I can make more than 25 pretty confidently, uh, in the market, conservatively, conservatively investing. So would it be? And, and I still get the two and a half percent plus write-off, a uh, uh, mortgage write-off. Now you're talking about a rental property. I would borrow against your own personal property, the equity in there, because when you refinance that, you'll get your lowest rates. So yeah, I think that might be a good idea in this environment.
5: Hey, Justin. Just a quick question. This is Shelly from D.C. area. When we're looking at stocks that trade and we see where they trade, the venue, whether it's on an exchange or OTC, what's the difference between the two? I I I know what an exchange is, but in other words, does it matter to us? Should we look into that and be exchanged as OTC or on the exchange? Anything we should look for and why does it
1: matter? Thanks. Does it matter if it's on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange? These are just different stock exchanges. It used to be a Pacific Stock Exchange. These are just different companies where you can exchange trade, exchange stocks with other people at a certain price. Does it matter to you what exchange the stock is on? Not really. Not really. You It matters to you the liquidity of that stock on that exchange, that there's enough stocks being traded on that exchange, and the spread between the bid and the ask. Uh, is, is small, those are the kinds of things you worry about. So, no, it really does not matter what exchange it is on. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
6: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's H A C K E R O N E.com. HackerOne.com. hackerone.com.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
2: Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Nathan from Wisconsin. Love your show. I'm becoming a long-time listener. So I have a question. I'm looking to start a portfolio of individual stocks by selling my ETFs. I use TD Ameritrade for my trading platform, and this is within an IRA. So is there a way you can simultaneously sell an ETF and then buy a stock you're looking at, or do you have to wait for the ETF that I'm selling to close out for the day and then wait for the following day to buy the stock? I want. Thank you. Bye.
1: No, you can buy it, you know, uh, right away. Uh, if you sell an ETF or a mutual fund, you can buy the next uh, position immediately. There used to be, uh, and many many still do, many of the custodians have a three-day waiting period. If you sold a stock, you got to wait three days before it clears, then you can use the money to buy something else. I, I don't know if that's true anymore, and I know TD Ameritrade is a custodian we use. We don't have to wait. So uh, it may depend on what kind of what kind of account you have. If you have a cash account or a margin account, you won't have to wait on a margin account. That's for sure. The cash account you might have to wait. I'm just not sure. Eight 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 ninety nine charters our number eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. Steve Santa Rosa, how are you doing, Steve?
2: Given the volatility that you are speaking about, as a, a fairly non-sophisticated investor and someone with not a, a whole lot of money to invest at one time, how do you feel about whole life insurance products and, and the cash value and the rate of return that those can give you and the okay. lack of volatility there too?
1: Okay, Steve, I'll, I'll let, you, let you know I my background is insurance. I worked for years and years and years in the insurance business in New York City. I'll tell you, the whole life, the universal life, I really think that they do you a disservice. If you need life insurance, I've always suggested to everybody, just buy term life. It's really, really cheap. Just do this math, Steve, if you would. Take the difference between term life, you know, the premium you have to pay. Let's say you have to pay $20 a month. And then to get the same coverage, same amount of life insurance coverage for whole life, take the difference and then start doing the math. Just put it, do a factor like, like they do. Use the same factor that insurance companies do to determine how much your gains are going to be over the next 10 years. You'll find that if you do it yourself, just buy an index fund in the stock market, using their same numbers, the insurance companies' same numbers, you'll be light years ahead in return. Why? Because insurance companies charge a lot of money, a lot more than you imagine on that management of those funds for you. I would not do it. You'll be a lot further ahead if you buy term and just take the difference and invest in the stock market over time.
2: What about the facts that the whole life is tax deferred going in and tax free coming out when you pull that benefit or that cash It's only
1: tax free if you annuitize it. There's capital gains tax are being built. It's tax deferred. It's not tax free unless you turn it into an annuity at the end of that period. And then, annuities are even more expensive. You would be a lot smarter to open up a Roth IRA or a regular IRA and put that money in there. Okay. Just do the math. That's all I ask. Or I'll do the math for you. Call me at the office. I'll show you. And I don't sell an insurance box, I don't care. I just don't like them. I worked in that industry. They're not bad. I'm not saying they're bad. It's just that I know you can do better in a different way.
2: Even without the risk? I mean, the insurance... Products I see that I'm at least looking at seem yes. that uh, there's almost no risk.
1: Yeah, they like to tell you that. It's amazing how they like to say that, but then they tell you to invest in the stock market or they invest your money in the stock market because they know in any 10 year period in history, the stock market has always gone up. That's how they can say that. The annuity part, they like to guarantee your returns, so they'll never go below this if you did. But you know what? I meet too many people that are still stuck in their whole life and universal life and they really can't get out of it. If they sell it early, they'll get hit with these big tax bites. Steve, I'm telling you, it's not the best way to go. All right, thanks. Good luck. Thanks for listening. Let's go to Mike in San Diego. How do you doing, Mike? I had a question
2: about loaded versus non-loaded mutual funds. Okay. You know, obviously, the prudent guy would... would air towards the non-loaded funds to kind of save money and right. initially upfront return right. on your investment, that type of thing. Yes. But uh, I recently read something on like A shares versus B shares and, and some of those arguments. Right. And I was kind of confused on what is the actual benefit of a loaded fund or is there any?
1: I will always tell you, never buy a loaded fund because you can find just as good managers and no-load funds. So why buy a loaded fund? And let me explain that to the other listeners. A loaded mutual fund is one where they you pay a commission to buy it. There are no load funds, meaning no commission funds out there. Also, a loaded fund is sold to you by somebody and they make that commission, usually 5%. A loaded fund could make up that 5% and make a ton of money and, and it would be fine. You could do that. But the loaded fund has to overcome that commission before you start making money. So the process is why buy a loaded fund when you can buy a no-load fund and you don't have to have that you don't have that hurdle. Of course, there are some very good managers in loaded funds, but there's also very good managers in no-load funds. So my take is always buy a no-load fund. That problem is is that means that puts homework to you to find them. A lot of people don't want to go through that work. They just go to a you know a, a, a broker and let him decide, sure. and he'll put you in a loaded fund because that's how he makes his money. Now, what about the A shares, and, yeah, B shares, so I mean, C how does shares? That play into when you talk about loaded funds, they have different ways to charge a commission. Sometimes it's upfront five percent. Those are called A shares, Mike. They're always upfront five percent. You give them a thousand dollars, they're going to take five percent of that right off the top, and you're only going to be investing, you know, nine hundred fifty bucks. Right. That's A shares. B shares are—they're going to charge you that same five percent, but they're going to charge you only one percent after each of the next five years. 1% of whatever the value is after each of the five years. These are what these A, B, C, D, and goes on and on and on. Different methods of getting their commission from you. Now, if you ask me which is better, A shares, B shares, C shares, I will tell you A shares up front. Why? Well, because if you bought B shares and they charge you 1% a year, they charge it on the value of the fund. So the fund grew 10%. The first year, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're paying 10% more fee. Yeah, exactly. Second year, if it grew 20% over the two years, you're paying 20% more fee, 1% again.
2: Okay.
1: So A-shares, if you're going to buy a load fund, I'd rather see you buy A-shares.
2: It's not like a bond rating to where it's the quality of the no. investment. No,
1: okay. it has nothing to do with that. Okay. Nothing, Mike. That's where I was confused. Okay. Okay? Great, thanks. Thanks for the call.
4: There is good news for loyal talk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the Invest Talk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. The first segment of the Rapid Fire Hour is hosted by Justin Klein, and Steve Peasley handles the second half. It's a fast paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour.
5: Hi, Steven, Justin. Thank you guys for your show. You know, it's very helpful. I have a general question. I'm young, starting to build my portfolio and just investing every month. And from everything I've learned so far, it says that you really shouldn't try to time the market and that you should just invest steadily. You guys are always saying, wait for a correction or a pullback. So I'm just wondering for someone who just invests every month, should you accumulate cash and then wait for those pullbacks and corrections in the market before investing or should you just invest no matter where the market is at the same time every month? I look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thank you.
1: If you are disciplined, you can invest every month, a dollar cost average approach, When I say discipline, I mean keep doing it when the market falls. Don't stop. And in fact, put more money in the market when it falls, not less, more. That takes a lot of discipline and courage. Now, should you wait for a pullback in the market? Well, we had a 37% pullback last year. No one knows when the next one's coming. That was actually a bear market. No one knows when the next one's coming. I can't tell you. Ideally, you wait for a pullback, ideally, but no one knows when that's coming. If you're young, just invest consistently over time and not worry about timing the market. Cause it's impossible to do. 888-99-CHARGE is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open. 888-992-4278. Hey, Steve
2: and Justin. I've been listening for a couple years now. I was just referring to something that Steve mentioned on Friday, that uh, with a weakening dollar, you see... Materials performing well in the coming future. I just wanted to ask, kind of, what that encompasses. Are you talking more about, you know, specialty and advanced materials or general materials like, you know, steel, aluminum, etc.? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, and I'll be listening on the show. Thanks so much for what you do.
1: It would be basic materials is what I was talking about. And that'd be aluminum, steel, uh, carbon things, and millennium and rare earth type things. They you know the. The stuff that makes other stuff, how's that? So materials should do well, because they also will do well in inflationary times. And, you know, people, if you look at the numbers coming out, inflation numbers, and it shows that we have hardly any inflation. However, if we have hardly any inflation, why is the dollar going down? If the dollar's going down, gold going up, isn't that, gold being inflated, oil going up. Isn't that inflation? Isn't not, isn't that not inflation? And won't that eventually mean that everything will go up? Groceries and everything else? And the only reason why it's not is because we have a fairly you know worldwide weak economy. What happens when that turns next year? Won't inflation perk up? I mean, no one really knows for sure, everybody. I mean, I can't tell you, but Yeah, we're also printing massive amount of dollars, and that usually makes the dollar worth less. And if the dollar's worth less, it takes more dollars to buy things. Therefore, those things are more costly. Inflation. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just common sense. Now. You know, we just don't have inflation built into the system. In the 1970s and 80s, I was around, and I work in my young career, and I was around when we had double digit inflation. And you just, it was a point where you just knew things were going to cost more next month, and you knew you needed a high, you know, lots of raises, and the employer knew it, everybody knew it, the, the stores knew it, everybody knew it. So everybody just got on the bandwagon of raising prices. Raising wages. And it seems like your wage never really caught up. And corporations made lots of money. Because they always seemed to raise their prices a bit higher and they kept maintaining their profit margin. So, don't think the stock market won't work. It does work in inflationary times. But don't worry that, about that part
0: managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk.
2: Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. This is Ed Bravo. I really like the show. I really appreciate you guys and all the uh, information you guys share. What are your thoughts on these cannabis companies investing in them? Thank you for your time. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: Well, I do think cannabis is another area of uh, future investments because, you know, that area is just growing, growing very fast. And there's a lot of... Merger and acquisitions going on in that industry, so you're going to have to be careful where you are and try to pick one of those companies that are going to be acquired, as they usually jump up when that happens. Let's go to Carlos in Stockton.
3: I'm 22 years old, have a pretty good job, and I've been interested recently in like e-trading. I really don't know nothing about it.
1: Yeah, online, online trading? Thing. on uh, yeah. uh,
3: Okay. I have money to play with, but you know, I just don't know the steps and I really don't know nothing about it.
1: Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. So you have to start to educate yourself a little bit. You know, anybody can go and buy a stock they heard about on TV, uh-huh. you know, or read about in a newspaper. But you'll be investing with the total lack of knowledge. You wouldn't know if when do you sell. You know, what stocks you should buy. You're buying stocks because someone else said it was a good stock and you're just yeah. buying it. That's not a good way to invest. You already made the first step, Carlos, by saying I have the interest. You have to start somewhere. And you're only 22. You're a young guy. You know, you're just now getting getting get involved now. Peter Lynch has a pretty easy book to read, okay? It's called Beating the Street. It's only about 200 pages. It's pretty simple. It tells you how he invests. It talks about invest in stocks that you know like you're at the store and you see uh, some product that you saw that is just selling a lot of high cakes, like maybe Nike tennis shoes or something. Yeah. You know, he talks about very very fundamental easy stuff to just pay attention to the things around you and then you start there. That book is a very good book to start. It's a beginner book. It's by Peter Lynch L-Y-N-C-H And it's beating the street. It's a very, very good book for a beginner. And, you know, Carlos, come to our conferences. Uh You just need to start listening to this show. You'll see that I'll talk about basics. And I'll tell you one thing, Carlos, that is true no matter what. Uh Stocks go up if their earnings go up. I know it sounds simple. It really (laughs) is simple. But there's so many stocks that people buy where they don't have any earnings Or have any hope of earnings. Or it's just a story that sounds good. But over the long haul, all stocks go up if their earnings go up. So they have to have their sales go up and their earnings per share. And everything's done in earnings per share. There's so many shares in the stock. You know, if it has a million shares, what is its earnings per share? It's a dollar per share. If it makes a dollar per share this year, it's going to make a dollar 20 per share next year and it makes another $1.50 the year after, that stock will eventually go up because the earnings are going up. So there's just one cardinal rule, if I could beat that into your head, (laughs) you will be successful over the long haul. That's what I'm talking about. Let's start with the earnings. If earnings go up, then the stock will go up, and you can get that earnings almost anywhere on the net. Carlos, good luck, and keep tuned into the station, and I think you'll pick it up. It just takes some time. That's all. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks, Carlos. Have a great day. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
7: Yes, hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Serafio. I'm calling from Ohio. I've been a listener for the past six months, and you guys have been instrumental in my quest to become financially literate. My question is about dollar cost averaging for a portfolio of individual stocks. <laughs> I have already maxed out all my retirement accounts, consisting of mutual funds. In June, I opened a taxable account with 30K and I've been adding 2K a month. I am somewhat okay with the fundamental analysis. So I now have 16 well diversified stable growth and value stocks that are not in any of my mutual funds. My plan is to hold 18 to 20 for long term. Almost all of my positions have appreciated, so when I put more, my average cost basis goes up. Would that be okay if I just keep on working in positions that have at least a 25% safety margin based on discounted cash flow or target price? Not that I'm good at it, but are there simple technical indicators to guide me? Thank you very much, and I'll wait for your answer on the podcast.
6: Well, I like that you're looking at just kind of cash flow models and trying to value uh, these names. Now, you said you have about 16 names. I like that you they don't overlap with a lot of the holdings within your mutual funds, so giving you broader diversification. Uh, I would try to do, expand that out to some of the neighborhood of 25 to 30 names. It's about what you would need to get good diversification and... I would focus more on the underlying business. If you have a long-term time horizon, certainly valuation is going to be important. But what's going to be even more important is investing in good, consistent companies that have good cash flows, hopefully maybe some dividends in a lot of them, uh, and monitor their businesses more than anything. Uh, And certainly, if you're dollar-cost averaging over time, uh, finding the ones that uh, maybe are down a bit, uh, but their long-term business prospects remain intact... You know, you want to add to those at that time. And that's probably the strategy that, that I, would, I would have. That's similar to how we manage money for our clients as well. So uh, it, it's really going to be more about monitoring those 25, 30 different businesses and making sure that your long term thesis about that business remains intact.
3: Hey, Justin, how's it going? This is Danny from Hawaii. I'm a long-time listener. I appreciate everything you guys do for everyone, um, all the advice you give. I'm more of a trader than an investor, and I like to buy and sell within a couple-month period. So I'm interested to know, can you explain the process of when a news catalyst comes out or news drops on a stock, and then the stock price skyrockets? What exactly is happening right there to cause the stock price to move so fast, so high? And- is there a way of knowing when that's drying up and when it's about to come back down and retrace by watching any type of indicator or volume, or, or is there something that you can tell when you know you get to a top in a candle or something? I'm just wondering if you have any advice for that. That would be amazing. Thanks again for everything you guys do. Hope to hear the answer on the show. Thank you.
1: Well, if you're a trader, I would really strongly suggest you learn uh, technical analysis, which means reading a chart. And in specific to your question, I would suggest you take a look at the Fibonacci retracement numbers. Fibonacci was a mathematician, 1500 or so, and there was natural retracement of numbers up and down in certain percentages, and that would be something that would help you. Doesn't always come true, charting is not a science, it's more of an art, but uh, learning charting will help you as a trader, so that's what I would suggest.
3: Hi, Steve and Justin, this is Faisal from New Jersey. I had a question regarding the time horizon to keep the investments. You know, I've heard that many people say when you buy the stock, you can just keep it forever or till retirement. That's the best time period to keep the stock. But others say like you know that's not very smart. You can sell it, you know, take profit, bring the register. In your opinion, what's the good time horizon to keep an investment in a portfolio so we can get healthy returns, you know, from investment or either trading both ways. Thank you. Take
1: care. Bye. Well Warren Buffett, the world's best investor over decades, his time horizon is forever. You have to think when you buy a company, you're you're buying when you buy a stock, you're buying the company. So you want to buy a good solid company. And I like to write down the reasons why you want, to, why I buy this company. And as long as those reasons are in place, I'm going to hold it. There is no time limit. Doesn't mean I'm going to hold it forever, but maybe I, I'm holding it for a specific reason. If it does X, Y, Z, and achieves that X, Y, Z, then I will sell. Or things change. When I bought the company, I bought it for these reasons, and now those one or two of those reasons no longer exist. I may sell the company, but your time horizon when you buy it should be forever. That's my opinion. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. If you want to contact me directly? Easy. To leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley and I want to thank you for listening.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1 800 557 5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24 hour listener line at 888 99Chart.